You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, it's great to have the Holloway family reading scripture for us today. Would you keep your Bible open to Colossians chapter 2? Invite you to do that. We'll be focusing there in the moments to come. It's good to see the group that's here, and we're grateful for you guys worshiping with us. Good to see that you've made it through. And for those of you online, we are grateful for you joining with us today as well. Just to re-echo what was said a moment ago, if you're a guest with us, we invite you to just text the word GUEST to 817-339-6633. We would love to know about your presence and love to connect with you. Throughout this message, you'll find a way to either chat online or perhaps some of you uh, even connect through the text message. It's good to see all of you guys again. Thanks for worshiping with us. I do wish that For some of you who had maybe gone to the beautician first before coming to church, but nevertheless, you're looking good. (laughs) We're glad you're here today. It's good to get a haircut, right? Good to be out, uh, good to to be among uh, the the living and kind of moving back into normal. Well, despite what perceptions say, we do love change. Now, we don't love to see everything change, but there are certain things that we love to see change. Take, for example, you. You have felt like over the last 10 weeks that every day is Groundhog Day. Remember the movie, Bill Murray, every day just showing up the same day? Trace and I were watching one individual on YouTube earlier this week, and they just said, how long is March? I thought it had 30 or 31 days. It just felt like forever. And the truth is, we do like change. And and sometimes it's counterintuitive. If someone were to come to you in January and said, I'm going to give you 10 weeks of a staycation, would you have taken it? Many of you said, absolutely. And yet somewhere between week three and week seven, you were climbing the walls, right? You were ready to get out. And we see this down throughout history. Adam and Eve had a pristine, quintessential, perfect environment, and yet they desired change. Take the children of Israel, as told the book of Exodus. They had the food of angels delivered to them morning, noon, and again at dinner time, And yet, They desire to change. Hold that thought, the thought of change with me for just a moment, because I want to dig into Colossians with you. And do you know how to find Colossians in your New Testament? Do you know this one? G-E-P-C, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Can you remember that? That is the General Electric Power Company. Do you know that? Or as someone said to me earlier, go eat popcorn. That's how you memorize that. Colossians chapter 2. Look with me beginning at this. Remember your training. Remember your training. The first thing that Paul, who wrote the letter to Colossians, is going to tell us in a moment in verse 6 is to remember your boot camp, remember your training. In fact, what I want you to see in verse 6 is the main thought here. Four words in English, so walk in him. He's speaking to a group of people who have trusted and received the Lord Jesus Christ. And the main thought, both this message and your passage, is you to continue to live in him. You're to continue in Jesus to find your identity. Not in your job, not in your profession, not in your role as a husband or wife or even as a father or the mother. And while many things change, this doesn't change, Jesus. He is the center of your life. In fact, notice the little word Lord there just before our key sentence. That is our focus in the moments to come. That while many things change, Jesus does not need a technology upgrade, nor does he need a theology upgrade. You are to mold your life around Jesus Christ. For some of you who are Christians, and you've been a number 
been a Christian for a number of years, have you noticed that some of the friends that you used to go to church with and used to walk with the Lord, some of them have pulled away? What's called deconversion stories in our day and time. The Bible's telling us that you need to walk with Christ all of your life. And there's a real danger, it's what Colossians is saying, there's a real danger that you'd begin following Christ, but you would quit that at some point. Notice again verse 6. The Bible says, as you've received Christ, notice the Bible doesn't say as you've achieved Christ. That's a different phrase, and I need you to notice that. Salvation in Christ is a gift. It's not something you earn. Can I get a witness? It's something that you receive. And so the Bible says that you receive Jesus Christ. My hope today is that you can say, he is my God, he is my Lord, he is my Savior, king in on the personal pronoun. The Bible says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord. So there's a reception of it. And the book of Colossians, this little book at the end of your New Testament, is really stressing this, that you need to continue in following with Jesus Christ and not change the identity of Jesus to a modern-day Jesus, but to understand that Jesus Christ, as he's presented, no need for an upgrade. Recently, I've been uh, sort of tracking and following and studying a little bit about the Founding Fathers. One Founding Father in particular, many of you know, the name Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin wrote the president of Yale. On his request, Ezra Stiles requested to know more about Franklin's views on Christianity. So six weeks, catch this, six weeks before Franklin were to die, Franklin pens a letter to Ezra Stiles, the president of Yale. He says this about Jesus. He believes in Jesus but has some doubts. And then he sort of says half-jokingly, because he knows his time is about done, he says, I guess I'll find out for sure here in just a few weeks. While many of the founding fathers embraced the Lord Jesus, Franklin is one of those that didn't. And you and I don't have the ability to reconstitute or remake the identity of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says back in verse 6 that Jesus is Lord. And if you're tracking with the book of Colossians, when the Bible says that Jesus is Lord, he is, in verse, the words of verse 18 of chapter 1, he is in the image of the invisible God. When the Bible says that Jesus is Lord in verse 19 of chapter 1, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Jesus. When the Bible says that Jesus is Lord, it means that all wisdom and knowledge is in Jesus in verse 3 of chapter 2. And when the Bible says that Jesus is Lord, back in Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, he is the head of the body, that is the church. He is your leader, in fact. That's who Jesus is. He is Lord. And let me remind some of you who've been following Jesus for a while, or maybe tell some of you who've not known this, Jesus does not offer his consulting services. Let me just pause there for effect. Jesus never said, if you'd like me as a consultant in your life, I'm here for you. Jesus presents himself as the Lord. He is boss. And that's important. The Bible says you've received him. Notice the next words in verse 6 and 7. The Bible says here that you are rooted and you're established, built up and established in the faith. Now, the Bible here gives both an agricultural metaphor as well as a construction metaphor. An agriculture rooted, but also construction. Think of this. Your life as a believer, once you've embraced the Lord Jesus, he brings the metaphors together. 
layer upon layer, like a skyscraper. If you've been following Christ for a decade or two decades, each year, each passing of time, there should be another layer built upon your growth. To go back to the agricultural metaphor, the roots of your soil, you've put your roots into the identity of Jesus. He is your identity. And so, think of your life perhaps like a large tree. Can you see cutting a tree down and you see the cross width of it and those rings, one ring after another ring, if you know what I'm saying here? Okay, I've been talking to cameras for nine to ten weeks now. Even if you have no clue what I'm saying, just, just appease me. You know what I'm talking about with those rings, right? Yeah, praise the Lord. Every ring is in every year, and every year of your life should be a growth in Jesus Christ, a pursuing him. Back in verse 6, again, it says, So walk in him, live in him, be consistent and insistent on pursuing Jesus Christ. The Bible says here to remember your training. But notice, secondly, not only to remember your training, but to resist possible capture. In verse 6, again, the main idea here is to Continue living in him. Don't let Jesus become a fad. There was a fad of bell-bottoms back in the 70s. There was a fad of parachute pants back in the 80s. Jesus is not a fad. He's not here today and gone tomorrow. Secondly, there's a warning found in verse 8, and the warning has to do with a, a new view of things that have happened in the, the people of Colossus. That's, that's the town. This letter was written to the people of Colossus, a small town, and they were to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was a new teaching that come in. And it was a teaching similar to Tom Hanks' Da Vinci Code. Do you remember the movie? Right? Now, only this is not entertainment. These people thought that that was real. And the view is called Gnosticism. In fact, in the New Testament, it is sort of an early version of it. Now, I'm not here to teach you a new heresy, and I'm not here to teach you first century philosophy. But let me tell you this. This view thought that Jesus' humanness was not a big deal. Did you know that the early Christians, the early Christians did not practice Christmas with a nativity set? In fact, it wasn't until right about 100 A.D., 100 years after Jesus' resurrection, his birth, all that, that the nativity set became popular. You know why? Because these group of heretics, these Gnostics, were becoming more popular, denying the real humanness of Jesus and that's when the Orthodox Christians said, uh-uh. That's my paraphrase of them. Uh-uh. We ain't doing that. So the nativity became much more popular. So therefore, in verse 8, the Bible says, beware. See to it. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits, more on that in the moment, and not according to Christ. So the Bible is putting Jesus Christ like a cookie cutter up before us, and we need to have our personal Jesus to be the Jesus of the Bible. In other words, if you held the Jesus of the Bible up and your view of Jesus, these two should look exactly alike. Your view of Jesus should be the Bible's view of Jesus. In fact, a moment ago, I mentioned that verse 8 is a warning sort of a bridge out ahead, a slippery wooden wet. Be careful here. In fact, back to Benjamin Franklin. Franklin 
in the 1720s wrote a really interesting poem that you'll find in Philadelphia. I hope that you get a chance to go to Philadelphia, see the Continental Congress and the Liberty Bell. And there you'll find, among other things, the grave of Benjamin Franklin. And as the tradition is, some of you have been there, you've put a penny on that grave. But there's one thing that I found fascinating that's there. It's really fascinating that he wrote this. Look what he says here. Hopefully it'll appear on the screen. This is Franklin's own words. The body of Benjamin Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here food for worms. But the work shall not be lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new, more elegant edition, corrected and improved. Now that sounds like a believer. It sounds like someone who embraced the Lord Jesus and a, believes in Easter, believes in the resurrection. And yet, by his own words, he had serious misgivings, serious doubts about Jesus. One of his best friends was the greatest evangelist of the 1700s, a man by the name of George Whitfield. Whitfield said to him, believe on Jesus and you cannot possibly be disappointed by your expected second edition. Friend, when I tell you that the Jesus of the Bible needs to be your personal Jesus, if you find yourself improving on Jesus, you might need to rethink your position. There are people who come along in fads and find a better Jesus. What you're finding is not so much Jesus, but what you're hearing is their supposed intellect. Back to verse 8. The Bible says this is empty deceit. The Bible says be careful of this. In fact, he warned of this earlier in verse 4 where the Bible says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Wasn't it Barnum and Bailey? Bailey said there's a sucker born every minute. Wasn't it he that said that? Don't be a religious sucker. Don't get bought in by the fads of the day. The Jesus of the Bible does not need a technology upgrade, nor does he need a theology upgrade. In fact, back in verse 8, that warning verse, notice that the, toward the end of it, it talks about these according to elemental spirits of the world. Do you see those words? Elemental spirits of the world. It was thought in the first century that everything, some of you know this, was built by earth, water, fire, and air. Everything was composed of that. But take that another step philosophically and religiously. They often thought that there were spirits or gods behind those four. And so here, these early believers were taking Jesus and adding something else. Again, as if Jesus needed to improve. You know, the same thing happens today. People embrace empty deceit human tradition. Our Latter-day Saint friends have a motto for their beliefs, as God was, man is. As God is, man can become. What they're saying in that is they're trying to teach me that I can become just as much God as God is. Be careful. Do not embrace empty deceit. What is that commercial where the guy's doing the tattoo and the guy says to him, you know, he wants to tell him how to do He says, stay in your lane, bro. You know what he says? Stay in your lane. That's what Paul's saying. Stay in your lane. Stay in the received teaching. Stay in the lane of the Bible's teaching. Yes, some things change, but some things never change. Jesus is one of those things. Our graduates today, 2020 graduates, high school, would have been born about 2002. Google applied for their patent in 2001. Do you recognize, some of you who've got gray hair like I do, 
that today's high school graduate would have no idea what a library card catalog would look like. They have no idea of how to look up things in that bizarre Byzantine way. All they've done in their life is they've Googled it, right? That's been the answer for everything. Yes, some things change, but some things don't need to change. And Jesus is one of those things. He is the rock of ages, and he is our foundation. Again, Jesus doesn't need a technology upgrade. You'll never find Jesus 2.0, 2.1, 2.2. He doesn't need any working out of his bugs. Neither will you need a theology upgrade. Resist possible change. Here's a third and last Recall your deliverance. You're to recall your deliverance. Much of this passage is bringing us back to this one central piece. We're to recall, we're to remember, and we're to relive the fact that Jesus Christ died and he rose from us, rose for us. He has delivered us. In fact, think of it this way. There was a young man, 15 years of age, in 1886, 1866, by the name of Erasmus, Jacobs. You can check this out and see if the pastor's accurate in this. Erasmus Jacobs was 15 years of age. He grew up on a farm by the Orange River in South Africa. His neighbor over the next farm over saw this little boy and his friends playing with these pretty pebbles, shiny pebbles. They were beautiful by all accounts, but they were just pebbles. The, even the mothers and fathers wouldn't even bend down to pick them up. The neighbor next door saw one in particular that Erasmus was playing with, and he said, do you mind, ma'am, if I bought that from you? She said, buy it from us. You can have it. They're everywhere. Well, that pebble changed hands and eventually found its way into an amateur geologist's hands, and that pebble became a 21-carat diamond. Don't you wish you'd had that pebble? Fifteen years after that story, there was a diamond rush in South Africa, and a powerful thing happened. You know, I tell you that story to tell you that sometimes the latest and the greatest that comes along, you don't realize you're to treasure what you have in your hands. You're to treasure what you have in your hands. In fact, Christ's followers, verse 10 tells us, as he reminds us of the great delivery that's in Jesus Christ, you have been filled in him. The him is Jesus. You've been filled with him, in him. In fact, some of your translations may say it this way, you are complete in him. Every year of your life, every passing of the season should be a season which you pursue Christ. Jesus isn't just for your high school years or your senior adult years or your family years. He is a in-season and out-of-season Jesus Christ. In fact, he moves from speaking about how we're complete in the verses 11 and 12, and he speaks about an uncomfortable subject for most of us men, circumcision. Men will be brief here, I promise. In Jesus, you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So it's a real circumcision, though it's not a literal circumcision. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. He's using a metaphor here that would have been known by everyone of that day, and it's a powerful thing to say Christ is your identity marker. You've been radically changed by Jesus Christ. It's a powerful metaphor. At the end of verse 11 again, all this is done by Jesus. Notice this section. Nothing here is done by humans. It's done by Jesus Christ. You need to remember. 
You're to recall and you're to relive your deliverance. One more, picking up now in verse 13, we can put these words here. And you who were dead in your trespasses of sin. By the way, who is the you there? Point to the you. You got a pointer? Who's the you? Is it you? I am dead in my trespasses of sin. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together. Again, it's God doing it. With him having forgiven all of your trespasses. Now notice this next. By canceling the record of debt that stood against him with its legal demands. That word cancel, you may want to highlight that word or circle it. That word's a powerful word. You need to realize that while paper had been invented at the time of the Bible, much of the Bible, much of the writing at the time was written on papyrus, which would have been expensive and rare. And if you had the ability to have a papyrus, you might have written something that after a while you wanted to write something else. It wasn't just getting the sheet of paper. Because it was so rare and because it was so expensive, you would take the papyrus and you would clean it off. You would scrape. That's that word cancel. That's the very word that they used in Greek. Isn't that a great picture for us? He scrapes off our misdeeds, our sins, and wipes us clean. That's what the cross is. Today, some of you have not embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. You need Christ to cancel. Cancel your record of deeds. Cancel the debt that you've incurred. You need him to scrape off that. Scrape it clean. Have your deeds wiped away clean. All that ugliness that I've done has been scraped away. By the way, have you thought about what's next after this life? All of us are concerned about this life and how to prolong it, masks, gloves, vaccines. But all of us are going to spend a second life someplace. William Shatner gave us some thought. About 15 years ago, the death of Marlon Brando, Godfather fame, the Philadelphia Inquirer interviewed Shatner of Star Trek fame. Shatner said, I'm not so ready to die. It petrifies me. I go alone. I go to a place I don't know. It might be the end. My thought is that it is the end. I become nameless, and I've spent a lifetime being known. Well, there's a whole host of stuff in there that Shatner needs to spend, like, a lifetime on a couch with some therapist. But here's the truth. Mr. Shatner and everyone else, you don't have to spend eternity alone. You don't have to experience a nothingness. Jesus Christ has went ahead of us. He has risen from the grave, and he's come back to cancel that record of death. You as believers in Jesus Christ, remember, recall, and relive what Jesus has done for you. And then here in the end, I want to circle all the way back to the beginning in verse 6 and 7. There's three little words at the end of verse 7. Can you read them with me? You read them at home, we'll read them here together. What's it say? It says, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, the Bible has given us a litmus test to spiritual health, and that is giving thanks. We're to give thanks. How do I know if I'm spiritually healthy? Am I a thankful person? Am I have great gratitude toward God. No matter the obstacle course your sin has put in front of God, he is pursuing you today. Did you know that? No matter the barriers your sin has put up, God is pursuing you today. Give thanks with me that God's love isn't tied to your performance. Does that make anybody happy in the room? God's love is not tied 
to my performance, my moral performance, your performance. That's good news. I will bless the Lord at all times. God's praise will be continued on my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt the name of the Lord together. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. You missed your cue there. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. The Bible says to recall your deliverance, for the Lord is worthy to be praised. I am thankful God stands by me. I am overwhelmed God stands with me. But I'm eternally grateful that Jesus Christ stood in my place. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.